Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The next four months are going to be kind of a nightmare for me. Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold and written by Gene Holloway. Mr. President at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who have lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. In just a moment, we'll bring you Edward Arnold as the man in the White House. You know, many years ago, the president sat in a ladder-backed, cane-bottomed chair. He read reports written by young men whose wages he paid out of his own pocket. No telephones plagued him. He could come and go as he pleased. Well, today, the president sits in an air-conditioned office, surrounded by telephones, dictating into a wire recorder. If he wants to walk, he must stay inside the White House grounds. From ladder-back chairs to air conditioning, from then to now, many presidents have lived in the White House. Our Mr. President's job is to portray them all, and he's done it. Edward Arnold has become the man in the White House. On the street, in stores, he's greeted with, Hi, Mr. President, we like the show. And we know you'll like it, too. So listen now and see if you can name the president upon whom this episode is based. Here's a story that happened in Washington a few years ago. Listen closely and see if you can tell who the president was. The president of the United States was having a small informal dinner with his secretary of war. As dinner concluded, the president said to the secretary, Mr. Secretary, I'm the seventh son of a seventh daughter. I see the future. In my crystal ball, shadows are moving. Moving. I see the shape of things to come. For example, I see a man weighing 350 pounds. Shadows assemble. Mass. Move about. Mass again over his head. Something is discernible in those shadows. What is it? What is it? Sometimes it appears to be the presidency. 
Sometimes it appears to be the Chief Justiceship. I hope it's the Chief Justiceship. Mr. President, I have no ambitions toward the presidency. Well, think about it. Think about it. Law has been my business. Don't forget, my career has consisted largely of the judicial. Only one judge has become president of the United States. Yes, Andrew Jackson. And what a great president he made. If I should be so fortunate as to become Chief Justice... I would consider that the greatest possible climax in my life. Well, as you know, there is a Supreme Court vacancy to be filled, and that is a step very close to the position you want. Yes, I know. If you want that appointment, I'll see that you have it. Thank you, Mr. President. But consider this. I believe that you are the Republican Party's best bet right now. Mr. President, I can hardly believe that you mean... I mean just that, Mr. Secretary. In my opinion, you are the man most likely to receive the Republican nomination... You are the best man to receive it. And with you, the Republican Party stands the best chance of winning. Mr. President, needless to say, I am, uh, well, I, I hardly know what to say. This is an overwhelming compliment, and while I protest that it is unmerited, I thank you for your graciousness from the bottom of my heart. I'm not being gracious. I'm being honest. You and I have been friends a long time. You know I'm always frank with everyone. Forgive me if I seem to pry into your affairs, but I have heard a great deal of talk about your candidacy for a third time. Nonsense. Complete nonsense. Nothing to it. It's against tradition. No, Mr. Secretary. I'm not going to run for president this time, but I hope you are. President of the United States. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a politician. There's no reason why you can't become one. A man devotes his life to certain things. Trains, studies for a career, his own way of life. He can... How can he suddenly throw aside everything he knows and embark on something new? That should make it all the more exciting. Excitement is a young man's wine. I am already in my fifties. Mr. Secretary, I would be the last one in the world to agree with you that a man in his fifties is no longer young. I never felt younger. Then run for a third term. Fling tradition to the winds. The people love you. They want you. The people who think they want me can be persuaded that they want you. Don't be in a hurry to decide. It's the greatest honor that can come to any man in his lifetime. Think it over, Mr. Secretary. Think it over. Look, it's dawn, my dear. Yes, dawn. We've talked the night away, haven't we? Come in the kitchen with me and I'll make some coffee. You know, that sounds very good. Well, talking hasn't solved much, has it? You've done a lot of listening tonight, but you haven't done much talking yourself. Tell me, what do you want me to do? I want you to run for president. Why? Because I think you'll make a great president. Because I think the people need you and want you and will follow you. I can tell you a hundred men in the party that will make a better president. Well, you can tell me, but I won't agree with you. <laughs> All my life, I've had but one ambition, one great dream, to be Chief Justice of the United States. But the president is the leader of the whole country. My dear, I am not a leader. I'm a counselor. You can be both. Chief Justice. President of the United States. Oh, this is a surprise. Come in, come in. I didn't realize you were back from your trip. I got back this morning. I had dinner tonight with the president, and he asked me to stop by and talk to you. 
He was sounding me out on how much support I thought you'd get for the nomination. Oh, the nomination again. Now, sit down, Bill. We have a cigar. Thank you. I uh, stopped in and had a visit with your mother. Oh, that was kind of you. How is she? Oh, looks wonderful. How old is she now? Eighty. Well, she hasn't lost one bit of a ginger. I told her she didn't look a day over 60. She told me I was a liar and wrapped me soundly on the knuckles. <laughs> well, she would, you know. I've been hoping to get out to Ohio to see her. But... She, um, she said she'd been reading in the papers about the talk of uh, nominating you for the presidency. What did you say about it? Well, she's wrong, of course. I'll tell you that before I tell you what she said. She said that politics were not your strongest point. And that the malice and spite you'd be exposed to would make you miserable. She said that politics was not for men who were gentle of heart and spirit, but for fighters. She's right. She's right. I had a letter from her, and she said, uh, they do not want you as their leader, but they cannot find anyone more available. Well, she's wrong there, too. Oh, incidentally, while I was there, a newspaper reporter stopped by and asked her to name her candidate for president. He nearly fell over when he heard her answer. <laughs> Who did she pick? Ella Hugh Root. <laughs> well, she's not wrong there either. I wish he'd run. Yes, but the White House wants you to run. And the White House is a powerful factor in the party. <laughs> you know that Root has a great sense of humor. <laughs> when I went to the Philippines, he sent me a cable asking after the health of the horse that had borne my tonnage. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear about the comment Associate Justice Brewer made during his speech at Yale? No, what did he say? We said you were the politest man alive. That he heard that recently you got up in a streetcar and gave your seat to three women. <laughs> you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> I wish I thought of it. <laughs> well, now, how about this nomination business? Well, Bill, you and I have been lifelong friends. You've been one of the Republican Party leaders for a good many years. What do you actually believe that people think of me? They like you. When they talk about you, it's the way they talk about the man next door. Good old Jim or good old Charlie, good old George. They like to see you pass through town because you're always smiling. They like to hear you laugh. You know, I think you could almost get elected on the strength of that laugh alone. <laughs> well, I would hardly consider a man's laugh any sort of a recommendation for public office. <laughs> well, you asked me what people thought of you. Well, from your answer, evidently, they consider me a clown. Oh, not at all. Not at all. A friend. Someone they feel they know and like. Do they think I've done a good job as Secretary of War? I've never heard any criticism of the job you've done. Bill, I've been over and over this thing in my mind, and I honestly cannot see any justifiable reason for my running. I don't want the office. I don't think I'm qualified for it. Well, if you're not qualified, then why do you think the president wants you? Hmm, perhaps he's trying to be courteous to an old friend. Don't you believe it. He's too shrewd a politician for that. I'll tell you why he wants you. He wants you because he's fought for certain policies, and you and he have agreed on those policies as they've come to pass. And he believes that you'll fight for the same things he fought for. He believes you'll try to keep whatever ground he's gained during his term in office. And that you'll go forward in the same direction. If I were president, I'm sure I would make every effort to do just that. But so would any number of other men. But you're the one he has confidence in. You're the one he wants. He says he will not force you to accept the nomination if you're completely determined against it. But he hopes you'll consider it most closely and that you'll come to the White House tomorrow at four. 
With your answer. I'll be there. With your answer? With my answer. Mr. President, I have not desired or sought this office. However, if you feel I am the man for it and you still wish me to become a candidate, I will respect your wishes. My dear fellow, that's splendid. Splendid. Now we'll go to work. There's been some talk of Cordell you running, but he's withdrawn from the race. However, Governor Hughes is still a candidate. Oh, Hughes is a good man. Good, but not the best. At least not in my estimation and not in yours. Now, he's going to make a speech the 31st of January, outlining his principles. We should nip his chances in the bud right there. Oh, could you do that? <laughs> watch me, my dear Mr. Secretary. Just watch me. Stop the presses. Stop the presses. Charlie, what have we got on the front page? We're running the campaign speech Governor Hughes made this evening. Kill it. Kill it. Well, what's happened? The president just sent a message to Congress. I've got the full text of it here, and it's dynamite. He's launched an all-out attack on corrupt business. He's screaming for the... Hey, here, let me find the phrase. Here it is. The moral regeneration of the business world. Boy, that's going to take up a lot of space for weeks. By the time business starts talking back and the president starts talking yeah, back... Yeah, we're going to have a lot of good copy out of this. So kill that Hughes speech and put the president's message on the front page. <laughs> <laughs> Look at those papers. My message is on the front page of every one of them, and in most of them, Governor Hughes' speech isn't even mentioned. You timed that message deliberately, didn't you? You see how it is, my dear Mr. Secretary? If Hughes is going to play the game, he must learn the tricks. It's a rough game, isn't it? Uh, you have to be on your toes every minute. Every minute. From now on, every time you're seen in public, I want you to smile. Every time any man thinks of you, I want them to think of a smile. <laughs> yes, Mr. President. <laughs> Will this do? Make it a little wider. <laughs> That's better. Now, I want to go over our plans with you. There will be no official statement of your candidacy. We'll just allow word to circulate gradually that you'll be the Republican oh, candidate. Oh, it sounds fantastic. These are some of the facts the publicity men are going to keep before the public. You're 51 years old. You've been in public office since you were 23. You were assistant prosecuting attorney of Hamilton County, Ohio, uh, were you not? Yes, when I was 24. Well, we must use that. Also, you were one of the youngest judges. Now, let's see, what was the exact title of that Philippine thing? I was president of the Second Philippine Commission, and four years later, I joined your cabinet as secretary of war. Magnificent record. Magnificent. My friend, you and I stand facing one another in a room in the White House. To the casual observer, one would think that we stood very close together. But it is a great distance from where you stand to where I stand. A distance fraught with dangers. I will do my best to guide you across that distance. Thank you. We stand here now, I the president, you the citizen. But if we succeed in our plans, one day we will stand in this room with the situation exactly reversed. I the citizen, you the president. If such an hour comes, my only prayer will be that I somewhere find the capabilities to find, to follow you in your footsteps. You have the capabilities. It is our job to convince first the Republican Convention of that, and then the nation. You're going to have to make plans to start on a speaking tour. Uh, you're going to lose a few pounds before all this is over, Mr. Secretary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I can spare them, Mr. President. I can spare them. <laughs> Thank you.
secretary. Oh, hello, Bill. How are you? I'm fine. It's good to see you looking so well. I understand your speaking tour was a big success. I... I'm sorry I couldn't hear you. The president had me campaigning in other parts of the country. Yes, I know. Well, I hope my tour was a success. You were going out to the convention? No, I have too much work to do here. After all, the business of the War Department goes on, regardless of campaigning. Yes, I know. It's a shame you can't be there, though. Well, my wife will be here in a moment and take down the reports over the telephone as they come in, so we'll know what's going on all the time. Good luck, sir. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Yes, yes, I'm listening. Yes, I can hear very well. Well, that winds up those reports. If you'll prepare those letters for my signature as soon as possible, I'll be very grateful. I can't concentrate on a thing today. Are you actually getting out reports? Well, I have been by exercising great willpower. You look thinner. <laughs> My wife's had me on a diet. <laughs> well, that's all for today. Just prepare the letters if you yes, will. Yes, sir. Thank you. Can't you just imagine that convention? The crowds, the banners, the bands. Yes, I certainly can. Mr. President, the delegates are shouting four, four, four years more. There, you see, I told you they wanted you. That's very touching. Very touching indeed. Mr. Lodge has just said to the convention that anyone who attempts to suggest your name as candidate impugns both your sincerity and your good faith. That's very well said. They're pounding for order now. It's the road. Uh, I shall never survive this. I shall never survive it. They've called Alabama. Well, what's happening? What did Alabama say? What's happening? Alabama's cast had 22 votes for you, my dear. There, there. What did I tell you? Good for Alabama. Oh, the, the Ohio delegation has marched in with a portrait of you and a silk banner. Everyone's cheering. Listen to them. Take the phone, my dear. It's your hour. Listen no, to No, me. no, no. Yes, yes, of course, of course. Well, yes. what are they doing? What are they doing now? Well, they're, they're, they're cheering. Here, here, you take the phone, Mr. President. No, no. Moments like this are rare in a man's lifetime. Don't you miss a second of it. Don't you put down that phone until you've won the nomination. <laughs> That's it, Mr. President. 702 votes. Capital. Who was second? Knox with 16. Uh, what a victory. What a victory. Senator Penrose has just moved that the nomination be made unanimous. Here, you take the phone. You take it. Of course I will. Well, we've won the first round. You've won the nomination. Now you've got to win the election. Yes. Now I've got to win the election. You know, I think I'd better sit down for a few minutes, Mr. President. This has been a very exhausting day. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. During the month of April, the nation takes its regular 10-year census... Now, it's vitally important the 1950 census be of maximum accuracy. Housing construction, employment measures, old age security, road building and safety regulations will all be influenced by census figures on population distribution, occupations, age groups, and service in the armed forces. By indicating the number of boys and girls in a community, the census enables citizens to ensure their youngsters the right educational, the right recreational facilities. Census information about individuals is absolutely confidential. So, when the census taker calls, ask to see his official card. Then, answer all the questions truthfully. Remember, 
An accurate 1950 census is to your advantage. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Well, have you guessed who the candidate for office was when all this happened? It really did happen, so listen closely. The Republicans had their candidate. The Democrats nominated William Jennings Bryan, and the campaign swung into action. The President of the United States left no room for doubt that a vote for the Republican candidate was a vote for him. He issued an immediate statement. I feel that the country is indeed to be congratulated upon the nomination of the Republican candidate. I do not believe there can be found in the whole country a man so well fitted to be president. He is not only absolutely fearless and upright, but he has the widest acquaintance with the nation's needs and the broadest sympathies with all our citizens, the farmer, the wage worker, the businessman, the property owner. So spoke the president of the United States. The Democratic candidate and his supporters mounted their platforms. I have reached the conclusion that the railroads partake so much of the nature of a monopoly that they must ultimately become public property and be managed by public officials in accordance with the well-defined theory that public ownership is necessary where competition is impossible. Yes, the Democrats mounted their platforms and the Republicans mounted theirs. Mr. Bryan would spend $14 billion of the taxpayers' money for the railroads and would operate them as a government institution. The Republican candidate believes the railroad should remain under private ownership because he knows government ownership means state socialism. Yes, the parties were in their respective corners and the words were flying. But in the Republican candidate's corner, there was a master coach. We've got to fight aggressively. Don't answer, Brian. Attack him. Don't let him make the issues. Hit him hard. Hit him hard. The Republican candidate listened and measured the advice, but he had a mind of his own, too. Well, now, my dear fellow, I can't agree with you on the stand you're taking the matter of campaign funds. I can't agree at all. Mr. Bryan suggested that all sources of campaign donations be published by both parties because he knows the Democrats won't get any contributions from corporations. It's a trap. I agree with him that the people have a right to know the source of each candidate's funds. I don't want any corporation money for my campaign anyhow. But that's one of our biggest sources of revenue. And now that Bryan has come out against the railroads... But but it's against the law. There is a federal statute against taking funds from corporations. Well, yes, but it it doesn't say we can't accept money from individuals who just happen to be members of corporations. It means that, too, even though it doesn't say it. Be practical. You have to have money to conduct a campaign properly. You certainly do. You have to have posters, handbills, campaign buttons, train fare for yourself and your supporters. You have to give dinners. You have to... The money will have to come from other sources. Well, it's impossible to get money without going to the big money groups in this I country. I believe the small businessman will contribute to defeat Brian. All the money in the country isn't in corporations, you know. The small businessman may only be able to contribute a small amount, but a little here and a little there can add up to a whole lot. I want to be able to publish the list of contributors to the Republican campaign and know that it is above reproach. Well, Bill, you'll have to see that the party convinces the small businessmen of this country that it's to their advantage to support the Republican campaign. Yes, but the intelligence... It isn't a question of intelligence now, Bill. It's a question of honor. This is the way our candidate sees it, and this is the way the party must see it. Thank you, Mr. President. I hope you win, old boy. It will be one of the major disappointments of my life if you lose.
Will you have any more callers tonight? I don't expect any. Well, then why don't you go right to bed and get a good night's sleep? Oh, I haven't been getting much sleep lately. I know. But now you have a chance. Look at these papers. Look at the things my noble and ethical opponents are saying about me. This paper says I am Catholic and opposed to all Protestant issues. This one says I'm a Protestant and opposed to the Catholic interests. Now here I'm accused of being an atheist and believing in no God at all. Oh. <laughs> Terrible. Why don't you make a statement about your religious beliefs? My beliefs are my own. I do not intend to get into a discussion of them. And now this paper condemns me for playing golf. It says it's no game for a strong, masculine man. And that if I'm doing it for exercise, it'd be better if I went out and sawed wood. Oh, well, it isn't important enough to permit yourself to be upset about it. That's just narrow-mindedness. Ah, there's no dignity to all of this. A chief justice would never be subjected to this kind of humiliation. No one can take a man's dignity from him, my dear. He can lose it himself, but it cannot be taken from him. Would you be terribly disappointed in me when I lose? You're not going to lose. I think I am. No, I won't be disappointed. I'll continue to be proud of you for the way you've conducted yourself during this campaign. You've always had great stature, but you've gained even more. If you're defeated, it will still be a victory, for you've fought magnificently. Well... <laughs> <laughs> if I did nothing else for the party, I'll show them they could get money from other sources than corporations. <laughs> the small businessmen responded in a way that can't help but warm the heart. Oh, come, my dear, and you must get some rest. And tomorrow's going to be a hard day for you. Yes. Tomorrow. Election day. It's three o'clock in the morning. We should be getting some word soon. Oh, I'm tired and tired, tired and mind, tired and body. What's all that noise? Oh, who could that be at this hour? Bill. Good morning, Mister. Mister President. What? Bill. Bill, is it true? Are you sure? Three hundred and twenty-one electoral votes for you. One hundred and sixty-two for Mister Bryan. It's a great victory. Do you hear those people? Oh, come on, they want to see. The new president of the United States. My friends. My friends, thank you. Thank you. I will do my best to be a worthy successor to my friend, the president of the United States. And I will do my best to justify the great faith you have shown in me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. Say, how would you like to look into the future? <laughs> no, we're not offering any crystal ball... We're suggesting that you listen to Drew Pearson, ace predictionist and news analyst. Every Sunday evening over many of these same ABC stations, Pearson predicts things to come in the news. And his predictions have been amazingly accurate. Pearson also brings you an astute, penetrating analysis of the news. His news beat covers the globe with special emphasis on political goings-on. 
Pearson walks and talks with those in high places. Just one reason he's especially qualified to bring you exclusive stories on headline events. So don't miss Drew Pearson tonight on ABC. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. I congratulate you on your great victory. Thank you, Terry. I will never forget the part you played in bringing me into this office. And I hope you will give me the benefit of your guidance in the days to come. <laughs> well, not for a time. While you struggle with the problems of state, I'm going to be struggling through the jungle. I'm going game hunting in Africa. No, the days in the White House of Teddy Roosevelt are over. This is the beginning of a new era in American history. The era of William Howard Taft. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another interesting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Until then, goodbye. program is produced and directed by Dick Wallen. Edward Arnold can currently be seen in the MGM picture The Yellow Cab Man. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. Today's story was based on incidents in the life of President William Howard Taft. <laughs> Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. <laughs>